Welcome to the Sports Equity Podcast. Here we talk to special guests from teams, brands, and agencies to discuss the value that sports brings to business through current trends and best practices with your host, Brett Weisbrot. Well, today uh, we have Evan Gidimer, who is about to hit his 20-year mark in the sports industry, starting early on in the NFL, then to go on and make a mark in all five major professional sports leagues to most recently opening up the all-new premium hospitality for the new Globe Life Field in Arlington, home of the Texas Rangers. Now, creating a new agency called The Strategic Sports Group. Evan, welcome to the show. Appreciate it, Brett. Happy to be here. Cool. Thanks. I'm happy to jump into this with you, too. So, you know, as we both know, sports is a tough industry to break through. You know, can you tell us a little bit about how you got your first start? I beg. Uh, it's really that simple. Uh, I was a student at the University of Miami down in Florida, uh, and I had a professor in the sports management program uh, who worked for the Miami Dolphins, um, a guy named Andy Major. He's at, last I heard, he's uh, with the Buffalo Bills these days. He's been there for quite a while. I haven't talked to him in a long time. Should reach out to him. Um, but anyway, so Andy was my professor. I begged him every day, you have to get me in somehow, some way. He knew someone who uh, left the Dolphins to work for the Philadelphia Eagles. I was from Philadelphia. Uh, I was going to go back there for the summer anyway. So he eventually got me uh, an opportunity to talk to some people there through his, his contact. And they said, it's a sales internship. So you're going to come in, you're going to try to sell stuff. I said, okay, I'm like, I don't really care. I just want the, the end of the sports industry. And here you go, 20 years later, as you, uh, as you mentioned, that's, that's where things have taken me. So still talking that 20 years ago, you know, just getting into entry-level sales, sales internship, you know, all different programs were called different things at the time. You know, where did you see yourself early on in your career long-term? I was going to be a personnel guy. I was sure of it. Um, I was a failed baseball player. Um, I thought I was pretty good. Then I went to the University of Miami uh, the year after they won the, the national title. And uh, I mean, I, I'd been recruited a little bit from D3 type stuff, nothing major. Uh, but I said, nah, you know what, I want to go somewhere big and I'm, I'll try to walk on. And I pretty quickly realized that intramural softball was more my speed. So um, I realized at that point, I said, okay, you know what, let's, let's do the personnel thing. And I thought any way I could get in would be my, my bridge over there. Uh, but once I got in and, and saw the sales side of it and realized all the intricacies that went into it and the, the way that you could learn and develop and uh, really just create your own identity and environment and team, I realized it was a good spot for me. And uh, I really don't know what else I would do if this wasn't what I was doing. Yeah, I feel you. I wanted to be GM of the New Jersey Nets. So, right, you know, we all start somewhere. I was just told if you go in talking about operations, you know, you're, get, you're not getting that sales job. So, you know, I'm sure we pivoted that, that thought pretty quick, right? right? So, you know, leading us, you know, you got the sales thing down. You're, you're starting to manage people at a young age. Um, you know, what was your philosophy early on leading staff? Uh, I tried really hard to remember what it was like as a salesperson. Uh, to hear something from leadership. So whether it was, okay, you know what? Uh, we have a contest coming up. There's a change in commission or we really need to, to be hyper-focused on this particular game or this inventory or whatever else it may be. Uh, I always wanted to see it through the eyes of salesperson, especially early on uh, versus a sales leader. Cause I thought that that's, that's really the message I'm trying to portray. I wanted, I wanted to resonate with the people I'm talking to. Like if it makes sense to me, that's great. But if it doesn't make sense or, or doesn't um, 
transfer that knowledge over the people that I'm trying to get this message to, it's, it doesn't work. Like it's not even worth going through the process. Um, that was early on as, as I developed a little bit more and as I had a chance to build a lot more of my teams, um, I realized that I could only be as good as my people. And what, what I mean by that is sometimes, I don't even think it's done maliciously, but sometimes people surround themselves with people that aren't threatening to them. Um, every time I hire somebody, I want them to be better than me. I want them to have some potential to be better than I am because I know that as they climb that ladder, they're going to help make me look good as well. Um, and then if, if you can keep motivating people, you can keep giving them information, you can keep inspiring them to do bigger and better things. Um, that's, I think, how you, you create growth for yourself. And, and what did you like the most about learning that process and managing people and evolving? I'm a really analytical guy. And, uh, and I thought I could almost play chess with this whole situation. You know, I could, if I thought through all these different things, I could almost predict the result that would come from it. So if I could start to, to identify traits, for example, of salespeople, which when I hire salespeople, I, I really uh, rarely worry about their experience. It's a lot more focused on traits. I think I can help them develop some of the sales skills, but if they don't have some particular traits, they're not going to be able to do well. Um, another thing, and I'm sure some people who are listening to the podcast might laugh because I say it a lot. Um, I also like to build teams that don't have nine right fielders. And what I mean by that, sorry, I've done a lot of baseball recently, so it's, yep. it's uh, baseball analogies. But what I mean is if you have nine right fielders, you're not going to be a very successful baseball team, right? You need guys or girls with different skill sets to fit into the operation differently to create the best possible result. So that's, that's, I think, what I've enjoyed most about trying to build, develop, and grow teams. You know, I know whether it was in Phoenix or just different times of your career, you were surrounded by a lot of great people. You know, who would you say, if not earlier on in general, who's made the biggest impact on your career? I love this question, but it's also always one of the most challenging ones. Yeah, leaving um, someone out, right? Well, it's, it's you meet people at different stages of, uh, of your career and, and it impacts you differently. So for example, uh, when I was with the, the Philadelphia Eagles, the guy who ran all revenue was a guy named Len Komorowski. Uh, Len's the president of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, I barely interacted with him. It just, it was the nature of the beast at that point in time. You know, I was this low level sales guy, just uh, make the hourly wage and, and hoping to, to find my way to, to the weekend. Uh, Len was trying to close naming rights deals on the financial field. So does that mean we didn't interact at all and I didn't still learn things through him? No, absolutely, absolutely not. Uh, I certainly did. And especially being able to go back and think through remembering what happened in some of those instances, that's been incredibly valuable. Uh, most recently on the Van Wagner side, we've had some amazing clients. And, and I know that sounds kind of weird because uh, people would hire us for our expertise. But the way that we always saw the best relationships develop was when we could all kind of do a, a give and take. So for example, Derek Schiller, who's the president of the Braves. Derek is, is one of the best sports executives I've ever come in contact with. Dynamic, he's, he's forward thinking, he thinks big picture. Um, we were there helping him and, and helping the, the organization reach their goals. Um, at the same time, I was taking notes every day, making sure I was picking up things from him. You could say the same thing about Steve Kuhn at the Hawks the marketing visionary. Um, we were there to help them craft their vision and help go to market on all the things they did for, uh, for State Farm Arena and their whole rebrand and, and refresh. Uh, so we were providing value, but to think I didn't get any value coming back my way is, is just ridiculous. So been incredibly fortunate to be around people that, again, I've, I've worked for, worked with, 
um, had worked for me even uh, that have gone to do some pretty incredible things. And to your point, Brett, like you try to go down the whole list, it's going to leave people out. It's going to rub some people the wrong way. So I may just leave it at that. Yeah, that and even talking to Rich Rossi, sometimes I hear about that that regime in Phoenix, right? That that's kind of taken over the world. And I think we've been lucky in different places to have that. But you know, it's not easy to create that dynamic. So it's always great to repeat it and, and build it your own way somewhere else. Um, that being said, you know, I know we just missed each other in Orlando. You were with the Magic right before I was at Orlando City. Um, you know, that was a tough time after you know having some stud players and and being in the finals with some different guys in the '90s and early 2000s. How did you overcome um, tough performance on the court and, and some more competition with the soccer team you know, starting to build around the, around the corner? I, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it's me, but uh, I've, I've worked for a number of teams and then from a consulting perspective over the last five and a half years, worked with a number of organizations too. I haven't worked um, outside of like little tiny consulting arrangements uh, with a team that's made the playoffs since the 2002 Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, wow. So, it's, it's been, it's just been the norm for me. Uh, and, and really most recently, the last six, seven, eight years for me have been a lot heavier focus on the premium side of the business. Uh, so a lot more business to business stuff. And uh, what I normally tell people is if the team goes 82 and 0, uh, or let's say they win the NBA title, that matters, or go to the NBA finals, that, that matters. If they, they're historically bad, you know, they, they challenge some of those old Sixers records for most losses ever. Uh, that may impact what happens from a, a premium perspective. But anything in the middle, we should be able to overcome. It doesn't change our process whatsoever. It doesn't change the way we should approach things or, or how we should anticipate success. So sure, every once in a while, going to have some, some super fan things that happen that affect premium, sure, but not that often. Uh, and from a team perspective, outside of that, just thinking through like a general ticketing and, and general sales philosophy thing, you never can rely on that. So my, my thing is to always plan as if you're going to be the worst team in the league. And then anything that comes beyond that and any type of bump you get from anything else um, means that your plan is going to work that much better. So if you can plan for success when you're terrible, you're going to make sure you're successful. Uh, or you're going to see insane amounts of success when, when your team all of a sudden performs on the field. I would say that, yeah, that, that, and as a salesperson, you know, it's important to have inventory, right? You know, that way you have a job if you're not 82 and 0. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think we can always create more, but that, that's something I'm looking forward to as we, uh, there, there haven't been a ton of great things that come out of this whole pandemic situation we're in right now, but I do think it's going to open up more opportunity for, for us salespeople on the ticket and premium side to act a little bit more like sponsorship people. I think we're going to be able to create a few more things. Like you see a lot of retrofitting going on in buildings, little odds and ends, clubs placed in these places, but I think we'll be even more dynamic coming out of the, uh, the pandemic situation. You know, so you mentioned new buildings, new opportunities with that. Um, you know, opening a new building is exciting. It's something I haven't, well, I've been, but, you know, not, not as frequent, you know, with you, with different buildings. You know, what did you learn most about your time in Dallas doing that? You know, every single one of them is different. Uh, so this, the Rangers, which, which you're speaking of, um, that was number seven for me. Again, my, the amount of time I spent on each one and my role and responsibility varies. Um, but then a couple in the NFL, um, the Hawks I mentioned, Braves I mentioned, uh, Sporting KC, I was there during a lot of the planning phase for the building there. Um, and then, then here with the Rangers, everybody always has some kind of challenge and, and you never really know what it is. So um, if you want to look at, at Brooklyn, Barclays Center, 
So I was the suite sales manager for Barclays Center back in late 2007, going to 2008. And at that point, the building was already delayed dramatically. Uh, there were more things going on. Some little financial thing happened in, throughout the country, but hit pretty, New York pretty hard in 2008 as well. Um, and it was very challenging to get things built in New York. So that, that meant the building was delayed endlessly and they had to keep rebranding and keep refreshing and keeping things uh, just top of mind to people in the marketplace. Things here in Texas were a lot different. Um, it was almost a race. So land already was, was taken care of because it was adjacent to the other ballpark. It was owned by the ownership group of the Rangers. Uh, the financing vertical to help support the team in building it was already in place from what happened with the Cowboys uh, and proved to be very flexible, easy, and um, some of the taxpayers were very, you know, they, they were happy to take on to help support the, the building of the new ballpark. Uh, what it meant is where, where a lot of other times I feel like I've had a lot of time to plan, the Rangers were almost planning and activating at the same time. Uh, made for a challenging situation. It made for a shorter timeline for selling. Uh, you know, you come into these things, you always want to try to figure out the perfect amount of time you want to spend doing this or that or phasing or whatever it is you're going to do. Uh, the Rangers are kind of flying by the seat of their pants just because things went so smoothly for them, which to some extent is good, selfishly for, for somebody who tries to, to make sure that you maximize as much revenue you can, you go about this thing uh, systematically and, and uh, you have the right plan in place. It was, it was a little bit more of a challenge. So that's, I think that's, you just have to make sure that you're flexible and, and that what you do fits into the dynamic of what's being built at the time and, and the infrastructure that's in place. You know, and, and sports brings value to business, right? A lot of people love going to the games. They either love their brand exposed or they love entertaining clients. What was the number one piece of business competition for you in selling this new building to the market? I didn't really view much as competition. Uh, so it's funny. I mean, as you mentioned, I've had a chance to work across all different leagues. And, and I think I've kind of developed an idea as to what each league offers in terms of, of what they can contribute to what the business world tries to accomplish. So, for example, NFL tickets are the cream of the crop, right? I mean, everyone thinks they want to go to NFL games. No, TV numbers are through the roof. Um, attendance in terms of capacity um, and, and how they can fill 70,000 seats on any given Sunday, uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, that, that seems like the cream of the crop. At the same time, you can't really have much meaningful stuff take place on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, from business nor eight eight a frequency of eight games potentially that that can hurt too uh, so i always tell people like you should use your nfl stuff to build and develop relationships it should be thank you stuff it should be bringing your family and, and a client's family out to games. Okay. you shouldn't be ready to talk business in an nfl game same thing in, in the nba or or hockey or um even mls um, even though it's a little bit quieter atmosphere that's non-stop action it's, there's just so much going on at those games that it's, again, difficult to get the chance to really talk turkey and really try to drive business results at one of those events. Um, it's, it's a great way to reward people. It's a great way to thank people. It's a great way to get them to, to actually meet with you and sit down with you. But there's nothing quite like baseball in terms of sitting down, just having the time, the pace, the noise level to, to really get into the, the nitty gritty. Uh, we oftentimes would say that we thought a lot more business would be conducted on a Tuesday evening at a Rangers game uh, than would happen on 10 Sundays uh, for the Cowboys just down the road. 
is there, a, you know, looking back at five leagues, 20 years, right, a hodgepodge of everything, a lot of value you bring, um, you know, to what you do every day, is there anything you would have done differently? You know what, I was a little brash when I was younger. Um, I, 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 it looked like I was going after a polo collection. I have a lot of different team logos on polos that, that sit in my closet. Uh, I, I thought that the best way to the top for me was going to be jumping from one organization to another. I had a couple internal promotions, but I thought the easier, faster way would be to try to, to join somebody else and, uh, and help get up the, the totem pole as quickly as I could. I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing because especially thinking about the last five and a half, six years of my life where it's been consulting, uh, you have to learn how to accomplish what you want to accomplish within an organization, within a structure, because all teams and, and all companies for that matter operate differently. And I think early on in my career, I didn't get quite as much exposure to that and had to kind of fill in some of the gaps more recently. Uh, whereas if I was involved in a few more challenges early on, I didn't jump ship to the next big shiny opportunity that's gonna help uh, propel me up the, the corporate ladder, which again, like looking back, like I've, I've gotten to places that I'm very happy I've gotten to, uh, but at the same time, I think it made it a little bit more challenging to uh, take those last couple of steps. So you mentioned the word consulting. You know, you've had the opportunity to work with a lot of great clients. I yeah. know it's really important in the. I know it's really important in the third party space, right? To remember that they are the client, and the, and there's some sensitivities both to manage your organization, but to also manage client expectations. Yeah. Now you've started something special with Strategic Sports Group. You know, tell us a little bit more about that, and tell us how you plan to add value for your clients building this yourself. Sure. Well, I think we all as sports executives know that this is about the most challenging time we're ever going to experience uh, in, in our collective careers. Uh, without the ability to host people at live events, uh, with seasons just stopped in the middle of them, with, with even uh, chinks in the armor in, in terms of what some of the leagues are doing, if you look at what happened with, with the Marlins and the Cardinals and, and MLB, uh, or, or some of the things coming out of football, and then football is going to start here shortly as we record in the middle of August. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's so many challenges that are going to be out there for teams and, and for leagues and even for brands trying to, to sort through how to, to make the most of opportunities uh, coming out of this pandemic. Uh, staffs are getting reorganized. There's tons of layoffs. There's tons of furloughs. To think that six months from now, staffs are going to look like they did at the beginning of 2020, to me, is unrealistic. And I don't necessarily think that, that staffs over the last 15 or 20 years evolved the way that was most efficient and effective in sports. So I think that's kind of at the heart of, of what we're trying to do with the Strategic Sports Group, uh, leaning a lot on, on new builds and, and major revenue opportunities for teams, like major shifts in demand. I mean, that's kind of become my area of expertise. Probably skewing a little bit more toward premium, but it's, it's crazy to think through how, in, in my mind, premium is the most challenging part of any uh, sports organization sales effort. Uh, you know, arguments with sponsorship folks, and every time I, I talk to sponsorship people, I say, guys, like, you call CMOs all day long. You know, marketing budgets are set aside with all these organizations, and you just call and figure out if they have any budget money left. Like, there's no sweet budget sitting at some company that you're calling to check up on and see if there's uh, a few extra sweet dollars hanging around this year. Of course. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to, there's going to be the need to be even more dynamic, more smart, more sophisticated in how teams approach um, the premium market and, and a, um, a business culture that hasn't been hit as hard as a lot of 
of our folks have, uh, depending on what industry it is. I mean, some industries have gone through this almost unscathed. Uh, you know, if you're if you work at, at Clorox, I feel like you, you think this is the best thing that's ever happened. Again, taking the, the emotional side of uh, of all the sickness out of it. But uh, I think there's a tremendous need to go back to market smartly, to go back to building out teams the right way. Uh, and conversely, I think that there's a big opportunity for brands to start to take advantage of a lot of the knowledge that's been built up over, over sports in the last five, 10 years. Brands have more flexibility now than they ever will to go to teams and try to figure out ways to make things work for them and to be able to help out some brands very much in the way that brands will go to agencies to help navigate uh, some partnership opportunities or naming right partnership. Uh, I think there's the opportunity to do so with, uh, with some premium and some hospitality. Yeah, I think we saw that shift prior to the last six months. You know, I think a lot of the new buildings coming up are more intimate with the number of suites that they're having, maybe more in the arena and soccer space than, than stadiums. You know, but I think they've gotten very smart with mixing the use of premium space to not just suites and more loges and you know, semi-secluded areas and things that are probably going to be more realistic you know, to the, the type of times we're dealing with right now. And then even more creative, um, you know, who is you know, taking all that into account and what you're trying to accomplish? Who is an ideal client for you? Uh, I think it's any team that that is kind of looking at this as an opportunity to uh, not start over, but but at least take the the house down to the studs maybe, and start rebuilding it. Um, the the days and in, in my mind the days of these hundred person sales operations are gone. You know these big 60, 70 person inside sales groups that, that started to pop up over the last five seven years throughout the industry. I, I think we can do better. Uh, I, I think we can be a lot more strategic in the way we uh, we approach building sales teams and, and building roles and responsibilities within that team uh, to drive better results. I think technology is a, a, another huge player. So, I mean, I think that's that's probably ideal. Someone that, that's really looking to almost create a new set of best practices. Um, I, I also would tell you that, that people that are thinking about major innovation uh, or, or even a new build, there's, there's not that many people that, that have gone through the process uh, as many times as I have. So I think that I still could, could bring some value because it, there are some of these things that go incredibly smoothly, but the best way to look at a new venue or, or a major innovation is like your one shot. To your point, Brett, like you mentioned, you, you haven't had a whole lot of experience going on new buildings or working on new buildings. I think that's pretty common uh, throughout our industry. Not a lot of people have done it, uh, there is a little bit of secret sauce to it. And, and saying that we sold everything out is great. Saying that we found a way to maximize revenue to its fullest is even better. And I, I think that's something that in my mind, we can help uh, people differentiate and help people accomplish. Yeah, and help tell a story, right? I think that's important. Yeah. yeah, cool. Well, thank you for joining us today. Appreciate you taking the time and we will definitely chat soon. Sounds good, Brad, appreciate you having me. Thanks, Evan. Thanks for listening to the Sports Equity Podcast, where we discuss the value that sports brings to business. Follow us for new episodes on a weekly basis. See you next time.